pick up right where Dugan and Ashley left off in the game that they were playing, uh, the poll that they were taking. And I want to invite you to think for a second over your own life journey. And the question is, have you ever considered going to a concert in person, but you weren't sure it was going to be worth the drive? Just think for yourself, yeah, already some of you are like, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, have you ever thought, have you ever had a concert that you weren't sure it would be worth the drive? I had one <clears throat> probably three or four years ago at this point. Um, I was trying to decide whether or not to go see Billy Joel live in concert. And to understand it, you first have to understand a little bit of the situation for our family. Um, for those of you who are new to Heartland, welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, I thought I'd show you a picture of my family. Uh, this is my wife, Ashley, our three kids, Beckham, who is the oldest. He's now 14. Easton is 12. And Braylon is 11. Uh, when I showed this picture first service, Dugan said, we look like the stock photo when you buy a frame. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I was like, I'm going to take that as a compliment, I guess. Anyway, these are our three kids. So um, now you know. And when our kids were little, we used to alternate doing bedtime, my wife and I. And when my wife would do bedtime with the kids, she would lay down with them. She would scratch their back, and she would sing them a song as they drifted off quietly to sleep. Uh, being or trying to be a good dad, I tried to do the exact same thing. Uh, the problem was apparently I scratched too hard and I sing too poorly. <laughs> and so it did not take long for me to realize this same like bedtime routine would not work for me. So I tried to get creative. I was like, well, what should I do then that would help? And what would be something that like they would remember dad doing with them? And so I thought, hey, here's what I'm going to do. When I tuck you in, I'm going to bring my phone with me and I'm going to teach you a classic song every night that I think you should know because they're just famous for a reason. Like these are old school classic songs where you need to know the artist and the song title. And then you're going to hear these songs when you're at the mall, or you're going to hear them as background music in movies, and you're going to see them in commercials, and you're going to know who they are, and all your friends are going to be like, how do you know all that? And you'll be like, because my dad used to tuck me into this song. And they're going to be like, what? So anyway, we covered a whole slew of artists. I mean, we've gone through the Beatles. We, we covered Elton John. We did uh, Frank Sinatra. I even taught them some classic Elvis songs because I was like, these are just songs that I think everybody should know growing up in our culture today. But everybody's favorite, including mine, was Billy Joel. By doing this, I fell in love with Billy Joel's, like, his catalog. It is so good. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? Piano Man? Yeah. Like, Vienna, Only the Good Die Young, River of Dreams, River, you know, um, all of this stuff. It's just so good. And so my son Beckham really fell in love with Billy Joel as well. And so we would buy the vinyls, and we would sit in our basement just listening to Billy Joel on vinyl together. So when I heard that Billy Joel was going to play Lambeau Field, I thought, this is a great opportunity for me and Beckham to go see him live in person together. There were some problems, though. First of all, he was playing Lambeau on a Saturday night, late at night, and I had to be up early to preach the next morning on Sunday here at church. Also, it was outside, and you can't guarantee the weather. You know, my son was probably 10 or 11 at the time, and it's one thing to know, like, five or six of his songs, but it's another thing to listen to an entire concert plus opening acts. And then finally, it's, it's pretty expensive. You know, these tickets were not cheap. Like, even in the, you know, further parts of the stadium, this was a lot of money. So I'm like, do I really want to spend this much money to take my son to see this concert? And in the end, uh, we did. And it was a great experience. I'm so glad we did it. But ultimately, what it came down to was my feeling like just privately, personally, part of me wanted to see Billy Joel live. 
Part of me wanted my son to see Billy Joel live in person while he was still touring so that not only would he know these songs, but he could tell his kids someday, I saw that guy live in concert with your grandpa. And then part of me wanted to have the opportunity to just see our first concert together with my son. And so we went. It was great. I was tired of the next day, but that's fine. It was good. You probably have your own story like that. You probably have a story of your own of driving halfway across the country, you know, with some college buddies to see some no-name band, right? Or, or maybe you have a story of making the drive to see your favorite artist in concert for like the 10th time. You've been to like 10 of their shows, and so you have a story like that where you've done it. What you and I recognize is that there are some things in life that are just, it's different to see it for yourself in person. Right? It's one thing to see a concert on TV. It's one thing to hear your friends tell you about it secondhand, but it's something different entirely to experience it for yourself live and in person. And what's true with concerts is also true in other arenas of life, that some things are simply worth the effort. And what's true with those things that's true in life is also true with our faith. When it comes to our faith, there are, you know, I think we would all agree, it would be nice if you could have a rich, thriving walk with God and do absolutely nothing. It'd be nice if we could have a, the type of walk with God where we hear from him clearly and we feel like we know where he's leading us and how he's guiding us and what he's encouraging, what he wants us to do, what next steps he has planned for us. It would be nice if we could do that without having to do anything at all, that God would just somehow knock our door down and, and, and like superimpose himself on us and it would all be good and it would take zero effort. Unfortunately, that's not the case. To have a thriving, growing, close walk with God, it takes a little effort. It takes a little work. You have to at least show up a little bit. The good news is that as we read stories throughout the scriptures, over and over and over again, we see example of people who put in even the smallest amount of effort, and it had massive impact on their life because it proved it was worth the drive. The guy that I want us to start the series with together this morning is a man named Zacchaeus. And maybe you know a little bit about Zacchaeus. Maybe you grew up in Sunday school like I did, singing songs about this poor dude. But his story is recorded in Luke chapter 19. And if you brought a Bible and you'd like to follow along, you can do it there. Otherwise, we're going to put it up on the side screens. And for those of you who are new to Heartland, whenever we read an extended passage of Scripture like this, I like to ask you to stand. And we don't do that because we have to. We don't do that because we should. We don't do that because it's tradition. We simply want to recognize and remind ourselves when we read these stories what, incredible, what an incredible gift it is. And so with that said, would you stand as we read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity. We recognize that we can worship you and dig into scripture with you every moment of every day, no matter where we are. And yet there is something special about gathering together to do it in your presence and in your house like this. There's something special about carving out an hour or an hour and a half of our time to just get in your presence and to invite you to speak into our life as only you can. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that right now through the story of your son's interaction with Zacchaeus all those years ago. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody who agreed said, amen. You can have a seat. One of the things that I love so much about studying Scripture is how easy it is to see ourselves in the characters in the story. Now, at first glance, you might be thinking to yourself, John, what are you talking about? What could I possibly have in common with a first-century Jewish tax collector? And I get that on the surface. It doesn't seem like you would have a whole lot of things in common with them. But when you start to dig below the surface... When you start to try to put yourselves in his shoes, when you try to start like filling in the story and understanding what actually is going on, you start to realize just how much you have in common with them. So let me show you this with Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, first of all, we were told that he was a tax collector. But not just any tax collector. We were told that he was the chief tax collector for his city or for his region, and that as a result of that, he was very wealthy. This alone tells us a lot. One of the things that we know overwhelmingly from historical evidence and documents is that tax collectors in first century Israel were some of the most despised people in society. You have to remember that at this point in their history, Israel was still being ruled by the Roman Empire. They were part of the, the expansive Roman Empire. The Israelites hated this. They wanted nothing more than to overthrow their Roman occupiers and lead themselves as an independent nation once again. Well, not only did Rome impose their judicial and legal systems on the Israelites, they also taxed them heavily in order to support the work of the empire. So not only were the Israelites being oppressed, they were being taxed in order to have the privilege of being oppressed. Tax collectors were hired by Rome from among the Jewish people to collect those taxes. They hired Jewish people to collect their own taxes because they would know their community and the families who made up those, those communities better, and there would be a much less likelihood of people slipping through the, through the cracks when it came time to collect taxes from everybody. In addition to being paid handsomely by Rome for their work, they were also in a position to extort as much money as they could or as they wanted from their friends and neighbors. Rome would tell them a certain amount of money that needed to be collected from each individual or each family, but anything that a tax collector could collect above and beyond that, Rome really didn't care about and they would get to keep. And so you can imagine 
as a result that almost nobody was hated or despised by the masses in first century Israel as much as a trader who collected taxes for the enemy and stole from your community. Knowing that, we then have to wonder, why would somebody like Zacchaeus take this job? What would cause somebody to turn on their community this way? I don't know for sure, but I have to imagine that the most likely candidates to fill those roles would be people who are already somewhat of an outcast. People who are trying in some way, shape, or form to fill a void in their own life. People who are searching for something themselves. Well, in addition to being a tax collector and understanding all of that about him, what else do we know about Zacchaeus? Interestingly, we're giving some physical description of Zacchaeus. Now, that is incredibly unusual. If you're new to reading the Bible, you need to know we are almost never given any physical description of the people that we read about. You can read through the entire Old and New Testament combined. You'll read about hundreds, maybe even thousands of individuals, and you will be given physical descriptions of almost none of them. We don't even know if Jesus himself was tall or short. So the fact that Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was small in stature, that he was a short man, has to be relevant beyond simply the fact that he couldn't see over the crowd that day. And in fact, I think it is, because I think it gives us a clue as to what might have been going on in Zacchaeus's heart and in his life that would cause him to throw in with Rome. Now, I want to be clear. We do not know for sure. We are speculating here, but it seems very likely or, or very plausible that Zacchaeus's small stature would have been a source of pain for him. Even more than it is today, being tall in the first century brought with it respect, admiration, it brought with it applause and opportunity. Being short did just the opposite. And so it's very likely that Zacchaeus grew up with everyone around him looking down on him, both literally and figuratively. Driven by a desire to be looked up to, it's possible that he chose this career path because he knew that it would lead to abundant wealth and power. But despite his best intentions, the decision to become a tax collector and the chief of the tax collectors made him even more of an outcast and caused people to look down on him even more. And it seems likely then, at this point in his life, that Zacchaeus has finally realized that no amount of money or power can fill the part of him that is hurting, that feels rejected and alone. He's learned that no amount of material wealth can truly distract him from the guilt he feels for the stealing he has done or the shame he feels for the man he has become. And so when he hears about this new rabbi, who is supposedly different, Zacchaeus must have been intrigued. All of the other rabbis that he would have ever met would have been harsh with him, quick to condemn him for the decisions he's made, for the things that he has done. None of them cared about anything other than what they could see plainly in front of them, a sinner. There was no regard that Zacchaeus had probably ever experienced from a rabbi for anything that was going on below the surface. So could it be true that this Jesus, this rabbi, was different? He had heard stories and rumors. He had heard that he's not like any other rabbis or teachers of the law. 
He had heard that Jesus was kind to sinners, that he was gentle with the broken, that he looks below the surface and understands what is really going on in a person's heart. It sounds almost too good to be true, but Zacchaeus wants to know for himself. Physical appearances have played such a large role in Zacchaeus' life that he decides he has to go. He wants to see this Jesus firsthand, live and in person. And so when he hears the, the rumor or the story, when word spreads that Jesus is passing through his town, Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem, he knows he has to go. He gets there and he realizes that there are a whole lot of other people who want to get a glimpse of Jesus as well. And because he's short, he can't see over the crowd. But Zacchaeus is used to overcoming obstacles. He's used to fighting for what he wants. He's driven. And so unfazed, he runs on ahead and he finds a tree. He climbs up in that tree and he gets a perfect view of the road where he'll be able to look out over the crowd of people and he'll have a perfect view of Jesus as he passes by. And so he waits. I want to pause here for just a moment because it's possible that you come to Heartland this morning feeling a lot like Zacchaeus. Not in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense. It's possible that you're here because there's a part of you that is hurting, that is searching for something more, that is wondering if there's more to life than what you've experienced. Maybe you're here because Despite the fact that you've built a successful life on the outside, you have come to the conclusion that Zacchaeus has come to that no amount of external accomplishment, wealth, or power can ever truly fill the hole that you feel inside of your heart. Maybe you simply feel lost or confused. Maybe you're unsure of which way to go in your life today. Maybe you feel abandoned rejected by people who you love or who you thought loved you, and as a result, you feel alone. Maybe you would say, my life's pretty good. I've just heard that there's good things happening here, that people are being changed here, that they're experiencing something that they hadn't found other places. And maybe you're just simply curious, and you've heard secondhand, but you wanted to know for yourself. You thought, I want to see with my own two eyes. I want to experience it for myself. Maybe you're here because you're simply curious. Could it be true? If any of that relates to you this morning, verse 5 is the verse for you. In verse 5, we read, When Jesus reached the spot... He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus. When Jesus reached the spot where the tree was, he looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus. I don't think this language is, is coincidental. I think that all Zacchaeus had wanted his entire life was to be seen. I have to imagine that he had grown up feeling invisible, feeling like nobody saw him, like he didn't even exist. Or when people did see him, they looked down on him physically, emotionally, relationally, verbally. And so he had spent his entire life trying to become visible, trying to become somebody who people would notice. He had scraped and clawed his ways to a position of wealth and power, all in an effort to get people to see him. But now, if people did see him, they hurled insults his way and turned and walked in the other direction, but not Jesus, not this rabbi on this day. When Jesus reaches the spot, he sees Zacchaeus. He notices him. 
He wasn't invisible to Jesus. But not only did Jesus see him, not only did he look up to Zacchaeus, he called him by name. They had never met before, but somehow Jesus knew his name. They had never met before, but somehow Jesus knew him. And Jesus stopped at the foot of the tree because he had good news for Zacchaeus, and it is the same for you and me. You might feel invisible sometimes, but Jesus sees you. He knows who you are. He knows what you've gone through. He knows the scars that you carry. He knows why you've made the decisions that you've made. And he doesn't just know, he cares. He cares about you. He cares about what you've been through. He cares about the words that have been spoken over you. And he cares about the lies that have, have sunk into your heart. But Jesus knows you, and he cares about you, and he knows your name. You are not anonymous to God. You are not just one among the crowd to him. You are not just somebody among the masses to God. You are unique, you are special, you are valuable, you are cherished, you are wanted, you are worthy, you are loved, you have a name, and he knows your name. Amen. Jesus said in John 10, he said in John 10, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I call them by name. He knows your story. He knows your name, and he cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. And you may have walked into this place today at the end of your rope, ready to give up all hope for a life that is truly fulfilled, a heart that feels full and isn't overwhelmed by pain and hurt and the oppression you have been dealt in this lifetime. But I'm telling you, when you get to the point where you recognize that maybe you have spent your life looking in all of the wrong places and that maybe there is something to this Jesus and that you're willing to put a little bit of effort in it, you're willing to show up just a little bit, I am telling you, it will prove to be worth the drive. Luke 19.5 says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. That's an interesting statement from Jesus. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'd like to stay at your house. Or, or hey, what do you think about me coming over for a little bit? He said, I must stay at your house today. This is another interesting phrase. Jesus used this phrase that something must happen very rarely in the Gospels. Most of the time, whenever we see Jesus use the phrase that he must do something or something must happen, it's almost always related to going to the cross, to laying down his life. He would tell his closest disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. He would say, listen, guys, this must happen in order to fulfill Scripture. At one point, Jesus said, I must preach the good news because that is what I have been sent to do. But he tells Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. I think with Zacchaeus, what this statement by Jesus implies is that this interaction is not only the result of Zacchaeus' effort, but that it had also been ordained by God himself. Which means, even before Zacchaeus puts forth any effort to get to Jesus, God was already pursuing Zacchaeus. And again, I think this is reflective of how it works with us. 
Ultimately, at the end of the day, you will not have a thriving walk with God, a thriving faith, if you don't at least show up, if you don't put a little effort into it. God is not going to force himself on you. He respects you and loves you enough to let you choose whether or not you want this, whether or not you'll show up for it. But what we see over and over and over again is that the moment you put you take any steps towards him, God will so much more than meet you halfway. You will realize he has been pursuing you every single day of your life. And so Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I have to stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus welcomed him with great joy. In the end, this was a turning point in the life of Zacchaeus. He puts his faith in Jesus. He turns away from his old life And he promises that not only is he going to repay everyone that he's stolen from, he's going to repay them fourfold. Notice, though, that this did not happen. This this movement of generosity did not happen because Jesus said, okay, Zacchaeus, if you want to follow me, you first have to go fix all the things that you've broken. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, if you want a relationship with me, you first have to clean up your life. You have to get your act together, Zacchaeus, and then I'll come over. No, Jesus just came over. Jesus said, "I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to your house today. I have good news for you. And after Zacchaeus experienced the life changing love of a heavenly father, then Zacchaeus, in joy, changed his life and he he lived differently. It happened because he had tasted the goodness of a walk with God. This is the impact of salvation. This is what happens naturally whenever anyone's eyes are opened and they begin to see God clearly. We see it all the time around here. In fact, if you were here last weekend for Easter, this is what we got to see in the baptisms. Before the people got baptized, you got to see some of their stories. Their stories were so unbelievably powerful But if you were here, you know that that despite the fact that their stories were wildly different, people from all walks of life with all sorts of backstories, one of the things that they all shared in common was an overarching joy in the moment, celebrating what God had done in them. They were all grateful for the impact that God had made on their life. And so for any of you who might just be starting your faith journey, I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep coming, to keep showing up, to keep doing the work, to keep putting some effort forward. Listen, this is a great place to do it. If you have questions, there are people here who would love to teach. If you're looking for relationships, we have community groups filled with incredible people who would love to welcome you with arms wide open. If you are hurting or in pain, we have people who would love to walk through this season of life with you. We have a care team that, that, is, that does a phenomenal job of caring for people who, who say, hey, I could use some help here. I know that I'm biased, but I think that this is a fantastic place to learn and grow. And so if you are just beginning your faith journey, I want to encourage you, keep going. Don't stop. Even if you hit a speed bump, Even if you hit a pothole, just keep going. Push through. It won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. And I want to, as we close, teach you a simple prayer to begin praying that I think will have a profound impact on your life. And we're going to close with one song, so if the band wants to go ahead and come get ready. 
I want to teach you this prayer, and I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from this little funny phrase or statement that we see throughout the New Testament and the epistles, uh, gospels and epistles, where um, it is having eyes that see and ears that hear, or eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, It's a reflection of the fact that there are times when you can hear something, but you don't really hear it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think my wife can relate to this because she says a lot of things to me that I hear, but I don't really hear. (laughs) Um, Just the other day, I asked her a question, and I heard her answer me, but I wasn't really listening. So despite the fact that I heard the words, I had to ask her again, and she was like, John, I just answered that question. You know, I was like, hey, grace, like Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> he's patient. So, uh, so this, this prayer is based off that fact. Like in the New Testament, Jesus talked about, you know, a lot of his teaching was done in parables. And he talked about how people who had eyes to see and ears to hear would understand. But people who didn't, wouldn't. They would just understand it as a little parable and move on their way. Well, the prayer that I want to encourage you to start praying is simply, Lord, thank you for seeing me. Please give me eyes to see you. It's that simple. Lord, thank you for seeing me. Lord, I know, like Zacchaeus, that ultimately it doesn't matter how much people look past me because you don't. You look at me. Lord, I recognize that you see me. You don't just see what's going on on the surface. You don't just see the the outward appearance that I've polished and prettied up. You see the real me, Lord. And yet you still love me. And you still pursue me. And you still want me. Lord, thank you for seeing me. Would you give me eyes to see you? Not just eyes to see you externally. Not just ears to hear about you, what other people have experienced. But Lord, like Zacchaeus got to see you that day, would you give me eyes to see you? Lord, would you give me eyes to see you at work in my life? Would you give me eyes to see you at work in the lives of people around me? Would you give me eyes to see you when everything's going great? And would you give me eyes to see you when everything's a mess? If you start to pray that simple prayer, I promise you, God will answer it with a resounding yes. Does that mean everything will be easy? No, of course not. But I can promise you, It will always be worth the drive. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Zacchaeus' story. Lord, thank you for seeing him that day, for looking up to him. Lord, thank you for knowing his name. And Lord, thank you that the same is true for us. Thank you for seeing us. Lord, would you give us eyes to see you? And would our lives be different as a result? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen.